We come now to this story set into the larger story of redemption in Scripture to catch us up and where this fits in. A God who is glorious and all-powerful and good and faithful, loving in all His ways, He created human beings to have a relationship with Himself, to rest in Him and to have life in Him, the author and perfecter of life. But very quickly in the story, actually before we get out of the first couple pages, we see that Adam falls, he rebels, he disobeys against God, he sins, he misses the mark of God's design and goodness, and comes into the world's sin and death. Death, we see relationships between Adam and Eve are fractured and broken. We see that their kids kill each other. Murder consumes the human race. Division continues to compound in the story of God, and yet God had given a promise at the very beginning of the fall that He would send one, this Redeemer, from the line of Eve, that He would come and make all things right. And so the story continues to look forward to this one that will come, this promised one of God. As the story continues, God shows grace and sees this one who believes in Him. His name's Abraham. And Abraham believes in God, and God counts it to him as righteousness. And so God cuts a covenant. You might think of signing a contract. He cuts a covenant with Abraham based upon not Abraham's faithfulness, but Yahweh, the Lord God's faithfulness. It's in the Lord's faithfulness that he promises that he will have descendants that will multiply and multiply as the stars in the sky. They'll eventually receive a land for their own possession. They will be the people of the Lord. And from them will come one who will bless the entirety of the nations. All of the world will look at the one that had come. These people are the people of Israel. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name is changed to Israel. And therein comes our story today. Several hundred years after Abraham has passed away, we have Moses and the people of God has been fruitful and multiplied in the land of Egypt. God has heard their cries of slavery that they're under by the mighty and cruel hand of Pharaoh. And he's risen up Moses and, and Moses has left in shame to Midian and now he's come back sent by God to bring forward the people. And it's in that text that we read in Genesis chapter 6 that this is the second time that discouragement has so swallowed Moses. As a matter of fact, Genesis 6, and if you're a note-taking person, Genesis 6 and Genesis, or I'm sorry, uh, Exodus 6 and Exodus chapter 4 are so similar that some think that perhaps chapter 6 is simply restating what happened in chapter 4. You see, Moses has a speech impediment of some sort. He has this insecurity and he has a shameful past that thinks he's disqualified from doing the thing that God has called him and commissioned him to do. His heart wants to lead his people, Israel, from captivity. But he's trapped in these insecurities. The Lord has already met him and brought the focus back upon himself and commissioned him to go. But now after one major discouragement, you see, Moses is provided by his own brother Aaron who speaks clearly. And they go into the court of Pharaoh and they say exactly what the Lord tells them to say. And Pharaoh is offended at their accusation and has them leave. For God had given Moses the command to give to Pharaoh to let my people go that they may come and worship me and serve me. Pharaoh writes it off as the Israelites just being lazy. 
The foremen think something's wrong when they hear about this. The foremen are in charge of the production that Israel would produce of bricks. And they go themselves back into Pharaoh's house and they say, listen, this is, something must be wrong. There must be a miscommunication because this is so unjust what you're doing to us. Pharaoh doubles down, accuses them again of being lazy and slothful. They've come out of the room, meet Pharaoh, or meet Moses and Aaron, and they say to Moses and Aaron, the Lord judge you for what you've done to us. Ever since you've come, Moses, it's only been worse. Moses is swallowed in discouragement and doubt. I don't know where you're at this morning. Whether you don't know the Lord and you're swallowed in discouragement and doubt because you're trying to be your own foundation to possibly make yourself right enough, do enough good to make yourself right with God, you'll never get there. Or perhaps you're a believer in Christ. You just find yourself discouraged because the timing of life are not matching up the way that you would hope to. But Moses is met by the Lord in verses 1 through 8. What the Lord does is he pans back Moses' perspective and puts it not upon Moses and how great he is, but the kindness and the goodness of God and his grace, specifically the promises of God. So this morning, whether you're a believer or not yet a believer, if you're unsettled, may the Lord give us insights as we look at the life of Moses and what the Lord does, because the Lord anchors him. Even when we're unsettled in life, the word of God is settled firmly. And so let the Word of God, by His grace, the unearned favor found in Christ Jesus, the sinless one, in whom we have forgiveness of sins and life eternal, cling to Christ and the promises of God. That's what Moses does. And that's what the Lord tells him, I should say, in verses 1 through 8. Note first this morning, as we look at verses 1 through 8, that the Word of the Lord is settled and His promises cannot be thwarted. The craziness of life can, can expound, whether it's a, a nation or a team or an individual. When life be, begins to become unsettled, what does the future hold for me? What have I done? And Moses is reminded that the word of the Lord is settled. In this, we see three components, three promises that, that the Lord does to try to anchor firmly his feet here in God's word and in the character of God Himself. The first promise is this, we learn from verses 1 through 5, that the Lord's promises in Scripture are anchored in His character and His covenant. If you're a note-taking person, you'll see fill in the blanks there. The Lord's character is anchored. The promises of the Lord are anchored in God's character and God's covenant. A covenant is a promise that God has cut, that He has made with man. And that's what God does for Moses. Moses is so discouraged He's doubting his own abilities. He once again brings up his speaking difficulties. And the Lord steadies him by reminding him of who the Lord is. And the promise that God has made already anchors him because it's rooted in the character and the covenant that God has made. He says in verse 2, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord, the divine name, Yahweh. See, it matters who the Lord is. It matters. Promises matter, particularly the person that makes the promise is what makes it matter. I'll give you an example. I want you to imagine somebody this morning you meet, for the, and you, you've known them for some time, and, and they've got a history of being slothful and lazy, and they never show up on time to anything. Some of you are looking at each other right now, I don't know what that's about. But imagine this person is incredibly undisciplined and they leave this service today and they tell you, you know what, listen, I'm inspired. 
I want to start running. Will you meet me at five in the morning to go on a five-mile run? If you know that person's a kind of a liar and really undisciplined in all they do, how secure are you, how confident are you when you go to set your alarm tonight for five in the morning that they're going to be there? Or are you setting it and thinking, well, at least I'll get a, I'll get a run in myself? What the Lord does for Moses is he reminds him of who he is. And it's that reminder of who the Lord is that gives Moses confidence in the promise because Moses isn't, isn't trusting in the promise of a man. We break our promises. And he's not even trusting in the promises of a good man, but he's trusting in the promises of the Lord. If you remember, what did Pharaoh say when Moses brought the appeal? When Moses came and brought the appeal to let the people go, what did, Mo, what did, what did Pharaoh say to him? Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Basically, Pharaoh said, I am the big dog. Who is, the, who is your God? Who's the God of Israel? Get out of here. What the Lord does is the Lord says, no, 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 no. He will remember my name. And in the midst of all of these things, the Lord reminds Moses of his name. One of my favorite movies ever is, was made in 2000 called Remember the Titans. One of the greatest sports movies of all time, it's a fact. It's based upon the true story of the 1971 Virginia State champion, T.C. Williams High School. That's a spoiler for you. They win the game. But they make it to the championship. And in the championship, the defensive coach, and the school has recently integrated, and the defensive coach, Bill Yost, rallies the defense at this scene. And he gives them this charge. He says this. He says, you blitz all night. If they cross the line of scrimmage, I'm going to take every one of you out. You make sure they remember forever the night they played the... I really thought you are going to meet me with Titans. That was <laughs> super anticlimactic. I'm football guys, have you not seen the movie? Come on. They'll remember the night they played the Titans. The Lord will make sure through the plagues and through His judgment that Pharaoh will remember the name of the Lord. The Lord's glory and greatness is demonstrated even through plagues. Pharaoh has a proud heart, and the Lord will harden his heart even further. But we're to remember the same components that Moses draws encouragement by remembering the Lord. That's good news for us. If you know God in Christ, the law will come through Moses, but grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Moses is discouraged, but that discouragement does not swallow up the command that the Lord has given him. See, the promises of God are anchored in the character of God. I want to ask you a question. What is the foundation of your life? Whose word is the foundation of your life? I'm, I'm always interested when I speak to somebody for one of the first times and able to draw a conversation around to what they think about God. So many people have thoughts about God based upon a hurt that they felt. It could be a loss or an abuse an act of wickedness or injustice they've experienced in life, and they judge God based upon those terms. Others are influenced by just what they catch. Could be a friend or a teacher. Could be a social media influencer that, that has their life under captivity. But they don't know the Lord because they've never gone to His Word. It'd be like asking about somebody and only hearing secondhand or thirdhand lines or assumptions. What the Lord does to Moses in his doubt and in his discouragement is he gives him his word. He gives him himself. I am the Lord. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I made a covenant and I'm going to keep my word. 
That's why I've sent you to do these things. So, second, as we look at verse 6, we note that His promises entail freedom from serving sinful masters. The promises of God are both anchored in His character and His covenant, which is good news for us. Those that know Christ, those that are, that are hidden in the new covenant made by Christ's blood. It's good news for Moses, who is fulfilling out the promise that freedom would come, that the people would enter into the land. In order for Israel to enter into the land, what's going to have to happen? They have to exit Egypt, and the Lord has commissioned Moses to do this. As we finished last week, we looked at verse 1 in, in, in some pretty good detail of chapter 6, and we use this example of the scene that we see unfolding, is, is this example that Moses is like a mouse in a lion's den, and he's on the commission of a lion, and, and so we zoom in, and discouragement and doubt causes him to zoom in on his own inadequacies. And he's discouraged and he's fearful because he looks behind him and he knows as the camera begins to pan out, there's a house cat sitting right behind him, licking its lips. Pharaoh is the house cat. Moses is the mouse in the lion's den. What the Lord does by reminding him of his word and his character and his covenant is that he causes the camera to pan out even further and sitting right behind the house cat is a giant alpha lion. And the Lord is trying to give Moses a perspective. Even though this little mouse turns around and can only see the house cat, it's a reminder that there's this gigantic fierce lion sitting right behind the house cat. Don't be afraid. You go and speak what I've told you to speak to the people I've told you to speak it. Because I keep my promises. You will be successful in this call. His promises for Moses entail freedoms. Verses 6 through 8 include seven I wills. How many I wills? Seven I wills. The first two are at the very beginning of verse 6. This is what the Lord does. He brings them back to the foundations, to the basics. Uh, I had a joy of, of being with the, the football team and uh, just for watching a practice, I should say. Um, I was with you in the sense that a fan is at a sporting event. Not really a part of the team. I was there. But I was asking some of the coaches, what are you trying to do in this season? And part of it is, uh, many of the coaches said, getting back to the fundamentals. Getting them back disciplined. Getting their eyes right. Getting the, the fundamentals back where they need to be. And the I wills bring Moses back to the fundamentals of what the Lord is going to do. The first two I wills. You look at verse 6. So therefore, say to the people of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them. Now Moses has a task to do. He still has to carry the staff and lead the people and give the messages. That's not easy. But the Lord reminds Moses, who's the one that's going to actually deliver Israel? The Lord is. And that's good news. That's good news. That's good news for us, isn't it, church? His promises entail freedom from serving sinful masters. Now, when we think of freedom, what do you think of? The high school student or middle school student or teacher or college student may think graduation. I'm finally free. But what does the college graduate, those of you that have graduated college, what did you soon find after you graduated? Were you free? You're free to work. And then you look forward to retirement. 
And those of you in the room that have retired, what do you find? You graduated, but now you're free to find something to do. The people of Israel are freed from captivity in Egypt not to go on vacation or do what they want. They're freed to serve the living God because it's in serving the one true God that we actually have life. You see, sin is lawlessness. Sin is missing the mark of God's call in our life. If we try to be our own foundation, it will always bring destructive components. But God, in His love for us, gives us Himself. That we may know Him and serve Him and move and have our very being and our foundation in a world that is ever unsettled. God knows the sin we've done and He loves us so much that Christ would die for us while we were yet sinners. Moses is reminded of this good news that freedom is his because of what the Lord will lead him to lead the people to be free. We're free in this way to serve the living God. Now what's interesting, if you're a note-taking person and you are okay with writing in your Bible, I certainly am, I would encourage you to write down Exodus 16 as a reminder here. Exodus 16. And if you have a lot of time and you're not afraid of paper cuts, flip over to Exodus 16 and write in there Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6. Exodus chapter 6 and Exodus chapter 16. Why do I want you to look to Exodus 16? Because in Exodus 16, we read, after Israel is led free from captivity in Egypt, 45 days, a month and a half, 45 days is all that it takes for Israel to long to be back in slavery in Egypt. Remember this scene in Exodus 6 where the people are so discouraged, they literally have the courage to look at Moses. And they've already said they believe that Moses is God's man. They already believe that Yahweh, the Lord God, has met personally with him and commissioned him to lead them out of the land. They've already said they believe in God. He's already worked these incredible miracles that are undeniable. And all it took was 45 days after being set free through the Red Sea that because they don't have any meat to eat, they look at Moses in Exodus 16 and they accuse him of trying to kill them. And they say, at least when we were in Egypt, as we sat around the fire as slaves, we had meat to eat with our bread. All it took was 45 days for Israel, the people of God, to forget the Lord and His plan and working. Believer, we ought to remember that freedom, what a tragedy when we forget that freedom from sin is not freedom to serve ourselves. But freedom from sin is to serve the Lord, the God of righteousness. For in that is true life. Amen? So, his promises entail freedom from serving sinful masters. And third, his promises entail his people's redemption, adoption, and a place to know and serve the Lord. We have five more, the final five I wills that the Lord stabilizes his feet. Let's look at them together. At the end of verse 6, he says, I will redeem you. I will redeem you. Now, redemption. A coupon means nothing, does it? A coupon only has worth when you bring it to the business for which it gives value. And you give them this worthless little piece of paper and it's redeemed. It becomes valuable in the proper hands in the proper way. Sinners have redemption by the shed blood of Christ. 
Israel will find redemption and will go from slaves to citizens of their own land. And how will the Lord give it? What's he say? By his outstretched arm of judgment. Egypt will feel the wrath of God. I want to ask you a question. Do you know what redemption is? There's a reason our church is Grace Bible Church. It's the unearned favor, the grace of God that changes our life whenever you grasp grace for the first time. You realize it's not something you have done, but it's something that Christ has done. It's true redemption, unearned favor, the grace of God that He would show us while we were yet sinners. Christ would die for us. This is the good news, redemption that the people of God have here. The covenant, the promise that was made, I will be God to you and your offspring after you. God promised Abraham in Genesis 17. And it's fulfilled here. The Lord reminds him of the promise that is going to be fulfilled. That's good news. Election and calling and freedom and redemption and adoption and inheritance are all threaded together in this text and the promises and the will of God. That's good news. The Lord is father to the fatherless. He promises them a land to to worship and to serve Him. If you have your Bibles, I want you to flip over to the book of Romans chapter 6. Because what Paul does in this text, in Romans chapter 6, and if you don't have a Bible, you can use the Pewback Bible in front of you, in page 942. And in this text, in Romans chapter 6, Paul takes the language, so much of the language is similar here to what we see in the book of Exodus. Of from slavery to sin, to freedom. Not to serve our own desires, but to serve the God of righteousness. So to summarize much of the later story through the Old Testament Scriptures, Israel's heartache and Israel's drama and problems come in that they're freed from Egypt, but they serve their own desires. Even in Samuel, they'll desire kings like the nations, even though they have the Lord as their king. And the Lord will warn them, you don't want kings. Here's what they'll do to you. And what does Israel say? Give us a king anyway. And what's the Lord say? Listen to the people. Give them a king. What will be the mark, the statement of Mark through the book of Judges and other statements in in the history books of the Old Testament? They did what was right in their own eyes. People that are freed from serving sinful masters, but go and end up serving themselves are a truly still enslaved people. Look what Paul says to the church. Romans chapter 6, verse 15 through 23. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Righteousness, doing that which reflects the character and nature of God, right before God. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you've become slaves to righteousness. It's counterintuitive that we would think true freedom is to serve the living God, but it's how God wired every one of us. He says, I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations, to which I'm like, thank you. Makes this much easier. Appreciate the illustrations. 
For just as you were once presented your members as slaves to impurity, this is a, well, a dual purpose statement, the members of your body, think of your own arm, your hand, your eyes, but also think of the church, the many members of the body. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness leading to sanctification. Sanctification, this big word which means to be set apart for special purpose. It's like when you're eating a steak and you cut off the perfect piece and you set it apart for the end. I just like to think about that for a second. But the Lord has called us not to be of the world, but to be in the world, set apart for Christ's righteousness. And so He's given us each unique giftings and season of life, and He places us here in East Texas that we may be seasoned, sanctified ones as the Lord deploys us, making us into Christ-likeness. He tells them, look in verse 21, but what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? So before one comes to Christ, we walk in sinful ways and we have no shame. But once we come to Christ, He changes our desires and we become ashamed of those things. Now we wage war against those things. For the end of these things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification, growing you in Christ's likeness. And its end is what? Eternal life. That's how God made us, the beginning of the story we're told. And finally, verse 23, a verse you may be familiar with, for the wages of sin is what? Death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's why this is good news. That's why we gather every Sunday. Because we have eternal life not by what we've done, but what He has done for us. Moses is reminded of the redemption that the people are have, that the Lord's going to allow him to play a part in leaving them, leading them free from captivity to serve and worship the living God. That was the original request. And that's what God will make good on. If you don't know Christ, I want to encourage you. You have a Connect card in front of you. Give us your information. You can place it on one of the boxes on your way out this morning. We'll have leaders here that would love to be able to pray with you and walk with you and simply confessing your sin to the Lord and your need for Christ and His work and saying, Jesus, I believe that you're sinless and I believe that I am full of sin. I believe you obeyed the full demands of God and you laid your life down on the cross. On the cross. You were dead and buried. I believe you rose again from the grave. You ministered and you ascended to heaven. I'm placing my faith and trust in you to forgive me of my sin and to lead my life. I want to follow you and make followers of you. Come into my life and lead my life until you call me to see you face to face. If that marks your heart, give your life to Jesus Christ today. True freedom. True freedom. Chosen freed, redeemed, adopted, sanctified, and glorified. The promises of God, even when we are discouraged or doubting, anchor us in all of life. Moses is anchored. And what we see the result of, and secondly, in verses 9 through 13, it doesn't mean he says, okay, that sounds great. I mean, it would be like that scene in Remember the Titans, in which the coach gave this jarring speech, and the player said, I think they're going to gain another yard, coach. I think they're going to keep running all over us. I don't like our chances. How anticlimactic would that scene be? The Lord just gave the seven I wills. And what is Moses' discouraged heart saying? They won't listen. 
people won't listen to me? Pharaoh definitely won't listen to me. The other mice won't listen to me. The house cat ain't going to listen to me. You ever been there? Discouragement and doubt swallow us. Verses 9 through 13, when God's people are unsettled by discouragements and doubts, listen, we have the opportunity to trust His commission. When we are swallowed and drowning in discouragements and doubts, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity to trust the Lord and to abide in His charge, His commission. What's so cool about this is this doesn't get Moses out of the charge in front of him. The Lord in verse 13 re-anchors him to the commissioning to go and continue to speak. I love that. Don't you love that? Just because he's discouraged doesn't mean he's disqualified or out of the race that the Lord has called him and empowered him to run. Because the Lord's got him. The Lord's moving him and bringing him forward. And the reality is that Israel's future and Moses' success are secure. They're the most secure things ever. Thomas Watson, uh, one of the Puritan preachers, he gave this, this quote that for the Christian, we are more likely to raise from our graves after we die than we are to wake up tomorrow from our, from our sleep. Israel's future could not be more secure. They were going to inherit the land, period. Why? Because God promised them and God always keeps His promises. Now the timing didn't match up the way they wanted to, right? Pharaoh wanted the exodus to happen, or Moses wanted the exodus to happen at the first request. The timing didn't match up, but the destination was secure. The believer in Christ, your destination is secure. The Lord has sealed you, Ephesians 1 tells us, by the Holy Spirit upon your repentance and faith in Christ, your regeneration, your being born again, born from above. The Spirit dwells you and you've been sealed as a guarantee of the inheritance that is yours. Your future is secure, believer. That doesn't mean you're not going to have opportunities of discouragement and doubt all along the way. But the beauty is, your discouragement and doubt, just as Moses's, don't disqualify us from the charge in front of us. What are you going to do? That's what Moses and Pharaoh are faced with. What are we going to do with this opportunity, with the charge that God has given us? Look back at verse 13. What does he say? He says all these things. But the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron and gave them a charge about the people of Israel and the Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the people of Israel out of the land. The Lord listens to them. The Lord handles their questions and handles their doubts. And the charge remains. What are you going to do? To the discouraged believer in the room, the call hasn't changed to be and make disciples. To trust that the Lord uses us in the face of sickness and sadness and hurts and discouragements and internal insecurities. And He's still working to shape us into Christ-likeness. Trust the lion. Trust the lion. It's a calling that God gives us as we gather to remind each other and we sing. I work on these sermons all week. But it's a whole different thing to be in a room and hear believers sing encourages my soul in a way that nothing else does. The grace of God encouraging us to trust the line in the face of discouragement and doubts. He's faithful and worth your life. He's good in all His ways. 
What's interesting about this text in particular to me is back in chapter 4, verse 31, we're told that Israel believes that Moses is sent by Yahweh to do what he's called to do. But we read in verse 9 of chapter 6 that they do not want to listen to him anymore. Can you relate to that? You believe in the Lord, but you might be so discouraged and distraught. You just don't want to listen. And to that, the charge is the same. The commission is still before us. Be and make disciples. Trust the Lord. Go. Go. It's an opportunity to trust the Lord in all of these things. Now, Jesus said it this way as we come to our next steps. In Matthew chapter 7, it's the end of the Sermon on the Mount. It's the Sermon on the Side of a Mountain. So they call it Sermon on the Mount. Mind blowing. Jesus says the same idea. What do you build your life upon? And what we choose to build our life upon or who we build our life upon directly reflects and will be shown in the end of the trials. See, just because Moses and Israel's future are secure doesn't mean they're free from the trials and the storms. So at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says this. He says, there was a wise man. And the wise man is the one who hears the words of Jesus. This is Jesus saying this. The one who hears my words and does them is like a wise man. The storm comes, the rains fall, the flood waters rise, and the wind beats against that house. But the one who hears his word and does it is one who builds upon the rock, and the house stands firm through the storm. But he says, the foolish man. The foolish man hears the same sermon and actually experiences the same storm. The foolish man and the righteous man, they both get the heat. He says the foolish man chooses to build his life upon the sand. And the sand is described as this. Jesus says, the foolish man hears my words and does not do them. The rains fall, the waters rise, the flood waters rise, the wind beats against that house, and the house is destroyed. And it says, then the people looked at Jesus and they marveled because he taught as one that had authority in himself, not like one of the scribes. Our first next step, the question is this, what are you building your life upon? Are you tired of building your life upon yourself or someone else's words? Are you ready to build your life upon Christ Jesus? Storms are going to come, the waters are going to rise, the wind's going to beat against that house, but what's your foundation? That's good news for us as believers. That's fearful news because it's a promise to those that don't know Christ. Their houses are going to crumble. But good news to all that will believe in your heart that Jesus raised from the dead and confess with their lips that He is Lord. The good foundation. Give your life to Christ. Build upon the rock. Be baptized. Be unashamed to know Him. A second, confess to the Lord and to another believer. If like Moses, you found yourself, though believing, lacking the desire to, to want to rest in God's promises and commission. Greatness does not mean the absence of suffering or difficulty. Well, you football guys, you, you can have greatness on your mind, but that doesn't make your, your practices any shorter, right? Your sessions in the weight room any easier. The endurance you have to go through it doesn't, doesn't change the reality that you're going to have setbacks or rehab or whatever it is. 
The reality for our life in Christ is we can so easily be discouraged that we just get to a point where we don't want to listen anymore. If that marks your heart this morning, would you confess that to God? God, I feel my heart getting hard and I just don't want to listen. Would you soften my heart this morning and give him a song of praise this morning as we worship him? And finally, Moses asked lots of questions. He's asked why questions and he's asked how questions. But the goodness is that the Lord is not scared of questions. He's not scared of your questions. But I want to encourage you, if you have a question about what's it mean to know God or His Word, you can write them on a Connect card, turn those in. We want to follow up with you. The Lord, the lion, is not scared of the questions. He's worthy of our praise. He's worthy of our song. Only a holy God is worthy of our life. Amen? Would you stand with me as we worship the only holy God?